Today we are finishing our uh, series that we began at the beginning of the new year. We've been calling Foundations of Prayer. And for the last two weeks uh, in this series, as we've been kind of rounding it out and coming, drawing towards a close, we've really keyed in on kind of one particular thing that I think is at the core of developing a healthy and strong prayer life, which is cultivating intimacy with God through the practice of abiding, developing a friendship with God where we walk with him and we talk with him, where we experience him as not just our father, not just our shepherd, not just our Lord, but also as our friend. And then last week we talked about the way that as we behold him, we become like him. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are transformed by his glory. And so that our very formation begins with us spending time looking at God through his word. So we're going to finish out our series today by zeroing in on what I think is the most important aspect of a mature, a mature and thriving prayer life. And believe it or not, this has nothing to do with anything that you say. It's all about learning to hear what God has to say. You see, in prayer, us talking is great. I think that there's a lot of benefits to developing sort of a lifestyle of talking out your feelings to God. The Bible makes it clear that God actually delights in hearing our hearts poured out to him. Talking to God helps us to organize our thoughts. It helps us to verbalize our deep, hidden desires. It realigns us with the truth. There's power that is released through our words in intercessory prayer. Talking out loud to God is really beneficial in dozens and and hundreds and hundreds of ways. But learning to listen, this is actually where the money is. The voice of God speaking over us has a thousand times more power than the words that we speak to him. To quote Philip Yancey, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. The whole goal of this thing we've been talking about for a couple of months now is really learning to see not according to what we think, but rather what God sees, what God thinks. Prayer is not about trying to get God to see things our way. It's quite the opposite. Prayer is about learning to be with God in such a way where our desires and our perspectives and our hopes and our assumptions all begin to align with his. And this comes from the place of listening rather than talking. Yet if we're honest, For most of us, listening is the hardest part of prayer. Finding space and time to be silent before God is a seemingly impossible task in a world of constant noise and distraction and responsibilities. Can any moms say amen? Like, holy cow. And so for for many of us, we have this simultaneous craving for stillness And then when we get it, we find that we can't handle it, that we need something to distract us from the awkward discomfort of being alone with our thoughts. Amen? And this is where certain practices really come in handy, one of which I'm going to do right now that has been a something that I do frequently in my home office.
In spiritual direction, there is a practice of beginning your session by lighting a candle. And the significance of lighting the candle is that it's a reminder that God is present here in the room with us as we are sitting quietly before him. It points us back, actually, to the story of Moses out in the wilderness in Midian. As he's busily working as a shepherd of large flocks and seeing that there is this bush that is on fire and yet isn't being consumed. Um, You see, this flame, it appeared out in the middle of nowhere, and this bush was just burning, whether Moses noticed it or not. And many ancient rabbis actually point out the fact that the only way that Moses could have recognized that this bush was on fire but not being consumed was likely that he would have walked past it and probably ignored it or maybe made a mental note and kept going and then later came back and seen that it's still on fire. And, it's, and then maybe he moves on and then he comes back maybe three or four times. That it wasn't until like the third or fourth time of seeing this thing that he actually took note that perhaps something needed to be paid attention to. And so as we light this candle, we are becoming aware of the presence of God that is in the room with us. We are drawing our attention to the burning bush and the holy ground that we find ourselves on. We are learning how to listen. We were created to hear the voice of God and to be in his presence He has designed us for this kind of relationship. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, you are made to hear the voice of God. Hearing the voice of God isn't meant only for some super-Christians or for those who have specific prophetic gifts. No, it is for each one of us. And while we, we can easily say that we hear the voice of God most primarily through reading his word, that is 100% true, but that's not today's sermon. Today we are wanting to go deeper into sort of an experience of the voice of God. And I think that the challenge for each of us is to cultivate the space and time to hear God speak. This is what many ancients call the secret place. It's the place of hearing. That when God brought his people out from Egypt through the Red Sea to the base of Mount Sinai, it says that he actually showed himself to the people as a fire on the mountain and he spoke and his voice came to them like thunder. The voice of God actually made the earth beneath their feet shake and made the people tremble. So terrifying was this voice of God that the people made Moses go up and talk to him on their behalf because they didn't want to have to stand before them, before him. And then years and years later, the psalmist writing poetry about what this was like and how God spoke to his people, he uses this very strange phrase we find in Psalm 81, verse 7. It says, in distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. God called his people to a place where he could meet with them, a secret place of thunder. Let me encourage you, wherever it is that you spend time with Jesus in the morning, start calling it the secret place of thunder, the Thunderdome. That's my new name for my home office. 
the secret place of thunder. For you and I, it's not, it's not really the same thing that we read about in the book of Exodus. It's way more dialed down. Like, I don't have a mountain that shakes and goes on fire every time the Lord speaks to me. But I have learned the small voice of the Father speaking slowly and tenderly to me over the years. And even when his voice is small, it still thunders. God has always intended for the secret place to be where we hear him and where he speaks to us. And this is the goal, this is the entire goal of meeting with God, to hear him, to hear his voice speaking, not just generalized truth, but words for your heart to receive like water on parched ground. In his book, Secrets of the Secret Place, this is one of my favorite books. I know I recommend a lot of books to you. When I bring one to show you, it's because I'm telling you to order it as soon as this sermon is over. Secrets of the Secret Place by Bob Sorge, fantastic book. In this book, Bob Sorge writes this. He says, Hearing God's voice has become the singular quest of my heart, the sole pursuit that alone satisfies the great longings of my heart. For this reason, I strongly advocate for a prayer life that is comprised mostly of silence. It's a great delight to talk to God, but it's even more thrilling when he talks to us. I've discovered that he has more important things to say than I do. Things don't change when I talk to God. Things change when God talks to me. When I talk, nothing happens. When God talks, the universe comes into existence. So the power of prayer is found not in convincing God of my agenda, but in waiting upon him to hear his agenda. So this morning, I want to talk about two very simple practices in prayer that are all about learning how to listen rather than speak. Two practices that resist the pull of the world into distraction and busyness. We're going to talk about the practices of silence and spiritual direction. One of the clearest and best depictions of uh, of the power of silence and solitude that we see in the Bible is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, which is a very familiar story to many of us. It's a story about Elijah going up on a mountain. And just before this moment, before he ascends this mountain, Elijah, the prophet, had performed one of the most powerful miracles in the Old Testament. He was in a confrontation with, ki- with King Ahab's prophets of Baal, and there were a whole bunch of them. And, and uh, Elijah challenges them to basically a showdown. He says, okay, we're both going to build altars. We're going to put an animal on the altar. And we're going to both try to call down fire from heaven. And whoever's God, whoever God, whoever, whoever's God answers by fire, that is the true God. And we see the prophets of Baal doing everything that they possibly could to convince their false God to bring fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice that was laid on the altar. And nothing was happening. And the whole time that nothing was happening, Elijah was getting bolder and bolder, mocking them to their faces. And then finally, Elijah, it's his turn. And he very simply, quietly, and humbly stands before the Lord and says, I know you're God, and you know you're God. Let them see that you're God. And fire comes down from heaven, and it, and it consumes the sacrifices on the altar. In fact, it says that it consumes the whole altar, everything, even water that had been poured around it just for good measure, just to really rub it in to these false prophets. 
And so then Elijah, uh, this results in, in the slaying of this group of false prophets. Then following this story, right after that, Elijah goes and he begins to intercede for the land, calling out to God to pour out rain on the land after years of a drought. And he sees this miracle of water being poured out on a very thirsty land. He saw the heavens open to pour down fire, and then he saw the heavens open to pour down water, all as a result of his intercession. So let's pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, 19 verse 1. Ahab, he's a bad dude, bad king, told Jezebel, his bad wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Meaning, um, let the gods kill me if I don't destroy you the way that you destroyed the other prophets by tomorrow. So then Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there, there was at his head a cake baked in hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So after this extraordinary showdown with the prophets of Baal, Ahab and, Je and Jezebel are full of rage towards Elijah and threaten to have him taken out. Mind you, Elijah had literally just called down fire from heaven and water from heaven, but the threats of these two powerful, evil people loomed larger in his mind than the power of God that had just been released through his intercession. So he goes out into the wilderness, fearing for his life, and he cries out to God and he says, kill me now. Let me die. I can't bear this any longer. That is a big turnaround from having just boldly mocked the prophets of Baal a, a couple days before. And he's alone under this tree, and he's full of despair. And in this initial moment, God, uh, uh, in this initial moment of sort of being alone and silent in the wilderness, God sends a messenger to take care of him. This messenger shows up and gives him a snack and a nap. And don't underestimate the power of a snack and a nap. <laughs> Even in the greatest despair, this is what, where we start. Now, this isn't the place where he heard from God. There was a messenger from God who was right there who could have delivered to him the news that he needed to hear to go to his next assignment. But no, instead he just gives him enough provision for the journey. And after his, his meal, Elijah sets off on foot for a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. Uh, filled with silence and prayer and hiking. Now, what's interesting about this is that archaeology and ancient maps would tell us that, um, that based on where we, we think that Elijah was in the wilderness at this time, it should only have been about a seven-day journey for him to get up to the top of this mountain. Instead, he took 40 days and 40 nights. And I think that this is showing us that there was a real preparation that was happening, which brings us to verse 9. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand among the, the mountain, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him, uh, a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of that, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him, and cast his cloak upon him. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? Elijah, he arrives at Mount Horeb, and God asks him this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And, and from Elijah's answer, we can see that even after a 40-day journey, alone with God, processing everything, and walking along this path, he's still not in a great place. Elijah gets very real with God. I have been zealously working for you. All of your people have forsaken you. They have torn down your altars. They have killed your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me too. That's how I'm doing. And believe it or not, this is in many ways the perfect way to kick off your time of solitude and silence with God. You see, as he meets with God in solitude, he spills his guts he emotes. He lets it all out. And in doing this, it actually creates sort of an open space that God can minister to him. You see, so long as Elijah has his guards up, as long as he's just sort of like trucking through, dealing with the crap that's coming day by day, just sort of shrugging it off and saying, this is my life, I guess this is my lot, there's very little space that God can really get in and penetrate to bring healing to that place. But when Elijah opens up, and he says, this is how I'm doing, God. That's where God actually has the space to be able to enter into that very vulnerable place to bring healing. And this, my friends, is great news for people like me because I'm a better talker than a listener. I'm a verbal processor. When I come to God in prayer, I have no problem spilling my guts, good, bad, and ugly but the key is to learn how to stay long enough to hear from God and not just settling for the shallow catharsis of verbal diarrhea. <laughs> that was an intentional phrase. So in verse 11, God tells Elijah to stand at the mouth of this cave 
because the moment that he had been waiting for had finally come. God was finally going to respond. And it's got to be big because what Elijah was going through was very big. And so he stands at the mouth of this cave and suddenly this wind starts blowing. And this wind is so powerful. It, so the Bible says that it's tearing the mountain apart and is shattering rocks. And he's just standing there at the mouth of this cave. This is dramatic. Now, if you or I were in that cave, I think that we would be running to the back of the cave and cleaning ourselves up, if you know what I'm saying. And so yet in all of this wind and all of this mountain tearing, God wasn't in it. And then after the wind subsides, there's a moment of silence, and then suddenly the earth begins to shake. There's an earthquake that is happening. Again, this terrifying experience on the mountain. But again, we read that God wasn't in it. And then suddenly there's a fire. Now, we don't know what that means, if it's like a forest fire that's around him or if it's like a pillar of fire or what, but there was fire on the mountain. And again, the Lord wasn't in it. And finally, after all of this calamity, as Elijah is standing there waiting to hear from God, saying, I need a word from God, finally there comes the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard the low, gentle whisper of God, he recognizes that he is being drawn into God's presence. What did the gentle whisper of God say to Elijah? What did he say? The Bible doesn't tell us. It was something that was actually only meant for Elijah. All that we know is that whatever this whisper was, it restored Elijah and gave him courage and strength so that he could, be, so that he could keep going with his next assignment. You see, what Elijah was facing was huge and terrifying, but God wasn't in the dramatic. He was in the whispering breeze, so soft that you would miss it if you weren't looking for it. And the question I ask as I was preparing this is how often do we miss the voice of the Father because we don't wait long enough for the whisper? How many things would we, would, would we miss out on because we're demanding and expecting God to speak to us through only the dramatic? A few months ago, I, I shared this story with you guys earlier, but I'll share it again. I was, we, we went away to the Vineyard National Conference down in Phoenix, Arizona, a big team of us, and it was great. And this was something that I was really looking forward to because I needed a touch from God. I needed to hear from him after what felt to me to be a little bit of a challenging stretch. I needed refreshing, and I needed some vision, and I needed some instruction, and I was going hungry. I fasted ahead of time. I prayed. I was desperate for a word from the Lord. And Day after day at this conference, I went for it. Big worship times, giving everything I've got. But the Lord wasn't in it. Big altar call responses. Oh, I'm rushing forward. I need to be prayed for. I need, I need something from the Lord. But again, just wasn't quite doing it. Not for me. My whole team, everybody that had come to the conference with us, they could sense how hungry and desperate I was. And they, they came and they gathered around me and they prayed for me. I love our people so much. But again, in it, God wasn't really speaking to me. And it wasn't until a few weeks later when I was alone in my, my office early in the morning, spending some time with Jesus, just routinely reading scripture, that he gently showed me what it was that he wanted to show me all along, that he was with me. 
he was with me. You see, there's this strange truism that, that happens all too often to people. I, I can't find a verse to prove it, but I feel like this might resonate with a number of us, that in your early years with Jesus, his voice tends to feel quite a bit more dramatic. It's like you have those stories where you need a word from the Lord and you take your Bible and you, you hold it up in the air and you drop it on the table and it flips randomly to the perfect verse that speaks directly to your situation. Or you're, you know, you're in some prayer meeting or whatever, and, and suddenly the, somebody brings a prophetic word that confirms the dream that you had the night before that sends you off on a course to, to be a prophet to the nations and the whole world's going to be changed through you. All those really great things that I had when I was 20. Um, <laughs> but as the years tick by, it starts to feel like the voice of Jesus becomes less dramatic. Like the bigger, the giant global prophetic words that were spoken over you in your 20s seem to be fewer and farther between. And the stuff that you hear is often much more of a gentle reminder to keep going rather than something that completely shifts your course and alters your life in a new direction. Does that resonate with anybody? And what Jesus showed me in that morning, that non-dramatic quiet time that I had with him is that he doesn't need to shout to his friends. He whispers, because I've learned how to hear the whisper. I think that God's native language is the gentle whisper. I think that he only shouts because he needs to accommodate our dull hearts. And the more that our hearts become sensitive to him, the quieter his voice becomes. This may or may not be a helpful picture, but there's a big difference in my marriage when I'm with my wife and, and I'm leaving out the door, she's leaving out the door, and there's the quick, I love you. Then, there, then in those moments, when it's just she and I together on the couch, eating our Tony's chocolate in the evening, and she says, I love you. It's a different tone. And I feel like when we are young, we are just learning. When we are new in this prayer thing, we are learning. We are learning to experience God with the bigs. I love you. Hey, you, I love you. But he wants to draw us into that space where he can eat that piece of chocolate with you and whisper right into your ear, I love you, I'm with you. I believe that the longer you follow Jesus, the more important it is to develop rhythms of being alone with God. One of the most famous one-liners in the Psalms is found in Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Reflecting on this line from the Psalms, Ruth Haley Barton writes this, there is a kind of knowing that comes in silence and not in words, but first we must, learn, first we must be still. The Hebrew word translated be still literally means let go of your grip. Learning to hear from God begins with the making the space and letting go of your grip on whatever it is that you're holding on to. Even holding on to, clinging on to a demand and an expectation that God needs to speak to me now. You won't hear him so long as you hold tightly to that. You can only wait and receive. You cannot force his hand 
But the freedom also comes in simply being still and knowing that he is God. He is God. And miraculously, God cares to whisper to you in the place of solitude and silence. And at the same time, as Christians, as members of Christ's body, God also uses us to help each other to hear his voice. Sometimes in addition to silence and solitude and waiting in the quiet to hear the still small voice of God for ourselves, we may need help going deeper in listening prayer. And this is what we call spiritual direction. I think the hearing God's voice, particularly around things that are really big in our lives, is best practiced in the context of a healthy, mature, Bible-saturated community. That, that a community that is marked by openness and grace and accountability. There are seasons in our lives where we just can't seem to hear God. I don't know if you've ever gone through one of those. It's very painful, especially when you've grown so accustomed to feeling him, him speaking to you like in an instant. You know, this might be a season that we call the dark night of the soul, or it might simply be a time where there are so many competing voices that it's really hard to tell which one is the Lord. God has given us each other to help us to hear from him. And so the most basic description of what spiritual direction is, is having a guide accompany you into the presence of God. It's really just having somebody go with you before the Lord in prayer. Someone who can ask probing questions that push you deeper into the heart of God. Now, over the last couple of years, I've begun seeing a spiritual director more regularly as one of my sort of core practices. And it is, it is astonishing how well this can happen, even over Zoom. Now, we open our time by lighting the candle, acknowledging that God's presence is right there with us. And then we say a simple prayer, and then we wait together. And usually God will give me an impression of something, something that he wants to kind of put his finger on within the first few minutes. And so my responsibility is really just to acknowledge what I sense God might be saying in the moment or might be re reminding me of. And then my spiritual director will listen quietly and wait on the Lord. And then after a minute or two of quiet, she'll respond with something, maybe a question that pushes me deeper or maybe an impression that she got. And then I take that and I chew on it for a little bit and I take it to the Lord and then I respond with what the Lord says and we just sort of ping pong back and forth for about an hour. But here's the thing, at no point am I trying to have a conversation, a counseling session with my spiritual director. It, the entire time, she is simply pointing me back to having the conversation, not with her, but with the Father. That's why we have each other. Sometimes we need some help facilitating or mediating this, this conversation with God. This is something that I have done with friends in my life group. It's something that I've done with leaders and mentors in my life when I've needed to make difficult decisions. This is something that Carly and I have practiced in our marriage together. It's something that uh, I've done with, with individuals even in my office just during a pastoral counseling session. I'm, I'm not a very good counselor. I just want to take you to, the, to Jesus and let him tell you what to do. And I don't want to downplay the value of seeing a licensed spiritual director. It is a really valuable thing. But in many ways, this is something that I think that the church is uniquely being, being equipped, filled with the Spirit, 
so that we can be able to do for each other. In sharing our lives with other people, God is inviting us to share in some of these really intimate spaces. He's wanting to use you to unlock locked up hearts in your neighbor. So how do you do this? I'm gonna give you a really simple, quick framework. You can write this down if you want. This is something you can do uh, you know, with a close friend, you can do with your spouse, um, you can do in your life group. Um, I would just say that in all things, you're trying to be very safe and to not go, you're not gonna try to go deeper than where God is going in the moment, right? All right, so the first thing you do is you just ask. Jesus, how are you praying for this person right now? And how can we join you in prayer? You're just inviting Jesus to lead the time. Which then brings you to the second point, which is to listen. After you ask, you wait. Sometimes you wait for a while, but it's really important for you to be patient and not try to force something. This is a sacred space, and this is really about the person who is receiving spiritual direction, not about you trying to fix their problem with a prophetic insight. And as you wait, you are listening to see if God gives you any impressions through Scripture, or maybe through the gentle whisper, or maybe spontaneous thoughts or images or feelings. And the goal in all of this is... Uh, is for the person who is receiving to be the one that is hearing from God for themselves. But sometimes God gives you something that can kind of help them nudge them down along the way. And then number three, step three, is discern and share. As you listen to the still small voice or sense spontaneous images, ask yourself if it lines up with the Bible. Does it reflect God's heart of love for this individual? And then we, we are vineyard people. We like to be very natural, normal human beings. We like to use language that gives uh, the person room to be able to weigh what it is that you shared. So you want to hold it with an open hand and mostly just try to ask questions. Use language like, I sense or I feel like God is giving me this impression or showing me this, this thought. Does this mean anything to you? And leave it in their hands. My spiritual director, she always uses the same phrase, like pretty much every time we get together, she says, I wonder if God is saying this. And in doing listening prayer or spiritual direction with someone, we are simply being a friend along on the journey with them. It's really all about them and Jesus. When Jesus', is ju when Jesus his cousin John was asked about his role in this unfolding drama around the Messiah, here's what he said in John chapter 3. He says a person can, only, can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less." The bride belongs to the bridegroom. I'm just the bridegroom's friend, and my joy is in hearing him speak to his bride. This is the heart of what it means 
to, to do spiritual direction or listening prayer with other people. This is the heart of what it means. Whatever it is that we're, whether you're a life group and you're doing hot seat prayer where we put somebody in a chair and we put hands on them and pray for them and bless them or, or um, you know, if you have a prophetic prayer session or anything. And all of these things, it is never about you receiving a message to be able to unlock the person. It is always you being the friend of the bridegroom rejoicing because the bride belongs to the bridegroom. We get to be friends of the bridegroom. And our joy is in him becoming more and us becoming less. So as we draw to a close, we're going to actually end this morning with a few minutes to be silent before the Lord. I know for some of us, this is the most awkward part of not only the service, but maybe even our week. Um, for others, this is probably the only silence that you experience during your week. And we're going to make space for God to speak to us individually before we move into a ministry time. So I want to invite you right now to just put away your device, take things off your lap, set it aside. Um, you can close your eyes if you'd like. Maybe open your hands, palms up, like you're receiving a gift from the Lord. And when, and when I'm done praying a poem here in a moment... I want to encourage you to ask God a simple question or maybe a concern that's been lingering in your heart. Give him something that you feel like has been occupying space and invite him to speak to you. It might be personal. It might be circumstantial. You might need wisdom for a decision that you're making, or you may simply need the peace of Christ to wash over you as you go through a difficult season. But first, I'm going to pray this poem, and then we're just going to have a few minutes of silence together. O oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness, quiet my fretfulness, curb my aimlessness, relieve my compulsiveness. Let me be easy for a moment. O oh Lord, release me from the fears and guilts which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip that I may be open to receiving what you give, to risking something genuinely new, to learning something refreshingly different. O oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Amen.